Drones and Public Safety. Welcome back to Textination. I'm Fred Fishkin. Joining us is National Aerospace Research and Technology Park President Howard Kyle. Hi, Howard. Good morning. Give us an overview to begin with of what the National Aerospace Research and Technology Park is all about. The name is pretty exciting. Well, basically, we're a relatively new organization. We are located on 58 acres that are leased to us by the uh, Federal Aviation Administration, specifically the William J. Hughes FAA Tech Center, which is located here in New Jersey. Right? And we're an organization that's dedicated to the advancement of aerospace research and technologies, but we also have an additional mission. We have an economic development mission. We're intended to broaden and diversify the economy of Atlantic County in the South Jersey area, which as some of you may know who are listening, that it's one of the more economically challenged regions of the country. Right, and uh, when a lot of people think about drones, they think about maybe having fun in the park or photography or how they're used in cinematography, but many may not realize the role they are playing in helping to save lives, and you've been trying to highlight uh, some of those efforts. Right, there are two types of drones. One is called large UAS, which we work with uh, organizations such as a project we're doing with the Air Force. Uh, and there are also smaller UAS, under 55 pounds. That's what we're working with in the law enforcement area. And it's a relatively new technology. People are becoming accustomed to it. We've started, as you may know, a series of emergency management training exercises. We did it, three of them. This is one we've done with the Atlantic City uh, Fire Department on the beach. And the intention of that is to start introducing um, UAS or drones for Beachfront safety, specifically you know, swimmers who may be struggling, being able to bring a device to them that gives them a little flotation device, drops a, actually drops a flotation device to them. It could assist with crowd control. It could assist with spotting a lost child. Uh, numerous uses, especially during the off-season, we don't have as many lifeguards in place. So let's talk about uh, uh, some use case scenarios. I mean, you mentioned one right. or two there, but... Uh, how they could be used and, and they need to be at the ready for deployment, right? In that particular case, they would have to be uh, sort of uh, close to being deployed immediately, yes. So describe for us how, how this would work. Would lifeguards uh, have them at their stands or they would, would have one uh, nearby? Not, not every lifeguard would have uh, a drone right there with them. There would be drones that would be positioned along the beachfront. I know they're starting to work out the details of that. And this is at an early stage. So a lot of these details would be worked out on what's the most effective means of deployment would be. But it's basically something that assists the lifeguards or life-saving individuals by enabling them to get a better perspective on what's happening at the front, what's going on at the time uh, to see more and to respond more quickly, even with crowd control measures. After we saw a demonstration just uh, last week where let's just say there suddenly were strong riptides and people were out in the ocean. Well, sometimes getting the word out to swimmers to pull back and come ashore is difficult because they can't hear you. But if you have a drone flying out there, giving that message, you know, remove yourself from the water, then that's helpful. That can be very helpful. And of course, there are crowds in the summertime, but uh, I know firsthand at the at the uh, Jersey Shore and, and many other shore areas, people are in the water all year round, whether it's surfers or just people uh, That's correct. We wearing wetsuits when it's cold, hopefully. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that is correct. And that's one of the main use cases that the local uh, law enforcement people and public safety individuals were looking at is what to do after hours when people go down to the beach, when the beach when they maybe shouldn't be there, and 
are in the water at a, a precarious time, how do you basically uh, tend to them if they have an emergency? So it would seem that there are some new job categories or, or skills to learn? There are always new skills in this to learn. Yes, uh, people who operate these will have to get a certification. It's called 107 certification. Uh, there is some training that's required. Your kids can't, it's not a case. One of the biggest misconceptions is that people can go down to a Best Buy, buy a drone and just take it out and fly it. That's not the case. You have to have uh, certain requirements that are, are to be met before you can do that. And a little bit of training. So it, it's an emerging area. It's being used in, uh, I know we work with land surveyors who are doing things, uh, we're doing the engineering firms, people who do uh, power line inspections. So it's a whole emerging area in the small UAS category. But the other one that's growing is large UAS and also another area that we're working with and that is unmanned aerial, excuse me, uh, advanced air mobility. That's the use of vertical takeoff, electrically powered craft that come up sort of fly vertically and land. That's another area where we're involved. Well, tell us about your involvement there because uh, I've been reading a lot about a variety of companies working to bring that technology to market. It's a challenging new area. I think I think one of the few have gotten some initial certifications from the FAA. Uh, it's something that will basically revolutionize short distance air transport and transportation. Effectively, um, a cleaner energy, electrically powered craft that can go shorter distances and uh, just service areas that basically may not have traditionally had good access to transportation, which you generally hear, and I'm kind of hesitant to use the term because I think it sort of makes it sound a bit cartoonish when they say flying taxis and flying cars. That is a component of it. That is something that would be available for a company. That's the commercial side of it. But there are also, in that emerging area, public safety applications that could be used. In other words, similar to the way uh, uh, you're getting help to people in the water with drones, Think of how fast uh, emergency responders could uh, get to a, a scene where they're where they're needed if they could be flying. That's there. correct, and you know generally you do hear it in terms of uh, the uh, commercial transportation. In other words, it, uh, let's just say I'm in Jackson, I need to fly to New York. You could get to a certain point to a, a vertical port of some sort. And you would get on one of these crafts, they would take off, and they would fly you to maybe the uh, Newark Airport or possibly the JFK Airport. That's the one of the use cases that's being considered being developed. Now, I, I know that uh, this technology is arriving. People can actually, I think, put orders in today for, for some of these uh, EV tolls, if that's how it's pronounced, the, the vertical takeoff and, and landing. Yes, electrically, electrically powered vertical takeoff and landing crib, yes. So what do what are your thoughts about having this technology available to a broad spectrum of the population rather than you know the well the elite we, are, we are at an early stage right now so a lot would have to be done before it's really available to a broad uh, population one of it is the more challenging aspect and that is the economics of it all has to be worked out right for a company that provides a service it has to be some way some at some point it has to be profitable for them to do it you get into the public safety uses, which are sort of different. Uh, they're not so much profit oriented, but the craft have to be developed, the craft have to be certified, pilots have to be trained. Eventually, the long-term concept is that these craft would fly pilotless. 
but that's not going to happen for a, a little while yet. So the FAA would get comfortable with that. And well, passengers, that's the other point. The public would have to get comfortable with the technology. It is something new. They haven't seen this before. And most of these are fairly small, so they're not going to, it's one or two people, three? No, no, no. They can be four to six. I've seen them about okay. that size. So, yes, that's changing as the technology develops. So they could be transporting people. And right now, I guess, not over very long distances, right? Because of the these are electric, battery-powered? It's shorter distances, yes. What now, are your... there are people who are developing a hybrid version of that, which would be using electric power along with you know, turbine power. Like a Prius. Okay. <laughs> Something like that, yes. So tell us what your thoughts are about how we avoid... I don't, for want of a better word, mayhem in the sky. You know, if if every, if everybody is allowed to, well, flying these, everybody really wouldn't be allowed to. There'd be some regulation to that, and it would be done by the FAA where you could fly it, and what under what conditions you can fly it. Uh, it's challenging to the extent that these crafts are a little more subject to uh, winds, so you'd have to have weather conditions that would have to be appropriate. So that is just, like I say, one aspect. The military is doing a lot with this. The Air Force has a, a program called Agility Prime, where they are developing their uh, sort of AAM vehicle and you know, for a military purpose. That's making a lot of progress also. Very interesting. Is there a place that people can go to to learn more about the work that you're doing there? Well, you can actually go online and you do advanced air mobility. You can see a lot on that area. You can go to our website, which is... Uh, uh, at www.nertp.com. We have some information on that. NASA is also very involved with that area of advanced air mobility. They're getting more active in that. We do have a NASA scientist who's assigned to us, and we're working on a couple projects, uh, mostly in the area of autonomy. If you want me to vary a little bit, we basically have a major program we have in place with the uh, U.S. Air Force Air Mobility Command and the FAA. And that is to introduce the use of autonomous devices on civilian and military airfields. A lot of technology exists to do some of that. But the problem is none of it has been certified by the FAA for actual use and implementation on an air, in an airport. So we're working with companies to set up what they refer to as their command and control system. In other words, I think John Deere has an automated lawnmower you could use. Right? That lawnmower isn't really authorized yet to be deployed on an airport. With the proper command and control systems in place, you can de start deploying those once they get the FAA certifications. So what we're doing is walk using a, what the FAA usually refers to as a crawl, walk, run approach. Start with some applications that would involve autonomous devices that have no contact with an aircraft. And once you become secure in their operations and you feel that there's, you know, the safety factors have been addressed, and you can deploy this with a reasonable degree of a certainty that no damage is going to be caused. You start moving closer and closer to create devices that come into full contact with an aircraft. So starting with maybe something really simple and mundane, automated lawn mowing, uh, perimeter patrols, and something called fog detection for an object to breathe that may be on an airfield that will runway or attack the way that can damage aircraft tires or jet engines. You start with that. When you have that secure and you're comfortable with the cybersecurity aspects of it, then you start moving so closer till eventually 
you get to a point where you can do automated refueling, baggage loading, and in the military, maybe even ordnance loading. All that helps to make up for manpower shortages that both civilian and military uh, airfields are beginning to experience. That's very That's interesting. interesting. Mm -hmm. It's possibly the start of a billion-dollar business. Uh, we're pleased to play a role in getting it, advancing it. Sounds like a Roomba uh, for the runway. You could look at it that way. You could look at it that way. So what we are really concerned doing, the objective has always been with the development of the NARTP, not to develop a research park as an end in itself. The objective has always been to develop an aviation industry in southern New Jersey. And to that extent, working with our partner agency, the Atlantic County Economic Alliance, we've established the only recognized aviation innovation hub in New Jersey that links together the Atlantic City International Airport, which has been designated as a smart airport test bed, the William J. Hughes, FAA William J. Hughes Tech Center, which is considered one of the finest certification testing laboratories for aviation in the world, and the NARTP and the surrounding one mile area. But we've taken that concept a bit further. And we've now decided that the innovation hub is great but we actually look at the assets that you have, the economic development assets that we have here in New Jersey, that we see you can actually take it further. So we started reaching out to the Joint Base and we started working on projects with the Air Mobility Command uh, out of Joint Base McGuire, Dix, Lakehurst. And if you can envision that in your head, that's up very near where you are, Fred, uh, the Joint Base, to tie the Joint Base with what we're doing down here and with UAS work that's being done in Cape May County with the Delaware River Bay Authority, we actually start seeing a research triangle, an aviation research triangle. But we've taken that a little bit further. We've brought, you know, expanded that triangle and brought one leg down to where it now uh, brings in Dover Air Force Base. And we're working on actual projects in that regard. We have a cooperative research and development agreement with U.S. Transcom and the U.S. Air Mobility Command to open up the airspace over southern New Jersey for AAM and UAS testing and development. So we're in the early stages of that project. Very complicated. Uh, none of this is easy. None of this stuff is that simple where you can just sit there and do it. It's going to take time to get these things into place, but we're making progress in doing that. We work with our partner agency here, as I mentioned, the Aviation Innovation Hub, and they're also developing air cargo operations out at the airport. Progress has been made in that regard. And we're also looking to develop a state-of-the-art aviation maintenance and repair academy working closely with Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in that regard, hoping that eventually uh, we can set an arrangement where they would cooperate that type of facility. Very exciting. Very exciting. Well, congratulations on, on the work that you're doing and on all of the innovation. Uh, thank you. Still got a lot more to do. Of course. Howard, Kyle, thanks for spending time with us. Thank you for inviting me.